from the team at CTS. This is the TrainRate Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Corinne Malcolm, your host for the running edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of running to bring you actionable training tips you can apply to your training. Make sure you also listen in to our cycling edition of the show with my co-host, Coach Adam Pulford, which alternates weekly with the running episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by the CTS Train Right Membership. The Train Right Membership helps you get the most out of your limited training time so that you can improve your performance and achieve your athletic goals. With the membership, you get access to science-based training plans, an 800-plus workout library, and an app to track your progress, along with advice from professional coaches via an online private form. Go to trainright.com backslash membership to learn where to start and use code TRAINRIGHT for a free 14-day trial. Again, that's code TRAINRIGHT in all capital letters for a free 14-day trial. My guest today is Neil Pallas. Neil is one of the newer coaches in our running team at CTS, and he is someone who I am proud to call my colleague as he brings broad depth and knowledge to our coaching cohort. Neil wears many hats, holding dual master's degrees in social work and applied sports psychology. He's a licensed psychotherapist and sports performance specialist and is working on becoming a licensed mental performance consultant. Neil is based in Longmont, Colorado, with experience providing psychotherapy and mental skills training to athletes at all levels. Today, we're diving into psychological flexibility, a really interesting topic. Um, we actually, the, my favorite quote that you're about to hear is that we talk about how psychological flexibility might be a greater skill set than mental toughness, and you'll have to let me know what you think about that. We're also going to talk about what that means in practice, how you can apply acceptance and self-compassion to both your training and racing, and what this means specifically for master's athletes as we all age. We hope you enjoy the show. Neil, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) We were just talking before we hit record, and I'm really excited to get to share your knowledge and expertise with our listening audience. You're one of the newer members of the ultra coaching staff at CTS. We were able to bring on a number of new coaches um, this year, and you bring an interesting skill set to our little little like cohort of coaches. You're, I guess, I would say our resident of uh, our resident well of psychological knowledge. And it makes me um, think about how coaching for me is this perfect blend of science um, that drew me to exercise physiology. And then also the human side of working with real people, I get to combine my loves of working with humans and the science that brought me into grad school and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, we talked a little bit once again, before we hit record, but can you um, tell us about your academic background and the interest that brought you into culture, the coaching ultra endurance athletes and how you're combining that with all these other interests. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I have a master's degree in social work. So I'm a, I'm a licensed clinical social worker have been for 20 years. Um, got a master's yeah, 23 years ago. And, um, and recently, uh, in 2019, I finished a master, second master's degree in applied sports psychology. Uh, and it, it's really kind of a, a roundabout way I got here. Um, years and years ago, um, we're talking in high school, 
I, I, I taught good in high school. So I, I did this program called Outward Bound in North Carolina when I was 17. I was still in high school. And Outward Bound, you know, rock climbing, backpacking. We did some whitewater canoeing. And it was really this challenging environment that pushed us to our limits. I remember hiking at 10 o'clock at night with a 70-pound pack, and I weighed all of probably 105 pounds. And it was just this giant pack, you know, and it, it, you're doing this with this group of strangers you don't know, but you form this bond. But you also find that you have a little bit more in you. And that excited me. I was like, whoa, there's this potential. You know, I found parts of me that I never knew I had. You know, I was this really quiet, shy guy. And I just, I opened up. I, I blossomed there. And and I came back to high school, you know, it was my senior year of high school. And I even, I started writing, you know, I had to write a paper. And I remember this from, you know, this is a long time ago. Uh, I wrote a paper called The Psychology of Mountaineering. And I wish I still had that paper uh, <laughs> because it, it, it took from all these great psychologists, humanistic psychologists, uh, you know, Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, and, and these folks, you know, basically talk about this thing called self-actualization, you know, which, you know, in a nutshell, you know, it was finding you have more, you know, and I, so I, I kind of applied that to mountaineering and I said, you know, I want to be an outward bound instructor. And so I go through college, at the University of Oregon, and there was a great outdoor pursuits program there. And I, um, right at, at the end of college, I got hired by Outward Bound in Oregon and started teaching rock climbing courses or mountaineering courses and whitewater rafting courses. And I worked in California for a bit. And um, somewhere I decided, well, I need to settle down a little bit. What am I going to do? And got my social work degree. But that stuff never left me. I wanted to empower people. I wanted people to kind of find what I found, you know, at a program like this. And that's kind of why I went into social work. But I had this in the back of my mind that, you know, there has to be a way to integrate kind of this outdoorsy, you know, mindset with, you know, social work. And I, I, I get a career in social work and I'm still heavily involved in, um, in, a, in a program working for a big insurance company. Um, and I provide crisis intervention services. I'm actually a supervisor uh, during the day. And at night, I do have a private practice. Um, but so I had all that stuff and I started getting into running uh, again. I, this is, I ran in high school. Uh, and actually, my high school coach wrote one of the first sports psychology books for runners, which was amazing. And I, you know, I thought about it. I actually got the book, and I still have yet to contact him. I want to do that. I got to do that. Um, but I, I, I got into running again, and I was, I fell in love with it. And I was like, I kept on. This is. It became my outward bound again. Came, you know, this is great. You know, but it was road running. Nothing wrong with road running. I lo you know, love it. And I, I got into marathons and I qualified for Boston. It took years and I hit these roadblocks and I started getting interested in sports psychology. Like, what is this, this block that I've got? Um, you know, and it really went along with my passion for mental health. And so I get into it. But it, as I get into it, I don't just dive 
probably like most of us coaches, we don't just, you know, stick our you know, toes in. We dive into it. And so I would, you know, and you see behind me, I was getting exercise physiology books. I got books on organic chemistry. I took organic chemistry back in college. So I was like, okay, you know, let's learn about this stuff. Let's learn about coaching. What does it take to be a coach? You know, and I took a coaching course in 2008, 2009. And I started working with some athletes here and there. And finally, this opportunity came up to uh, do a distance learning uh, through Adams State University at, in sports psychology. And I took went through their program. And, you know, that's I, I loved it. it. But one of the one of the premises in that program, one of the pieces of it, they're like, this is really good material to bring to coaching, you know? And so I was like, well, why don't I take all of this mental health and, you know, the, the, the mental performance piece to coaching, you know, and, and I'm already coaching some athletes here and there. I don't, you know, and so I was like, I saw, you know, this opened up and I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, and I've been, I've been doing ultras for a, a good couple of years already. And there were so many pieces of it that are where it's that mental performance piece and the mental health piece comes in. And that's why I'm here. I'm here here to help people find they have more. Um, and, you know, whether it's looking at it from the, you know, the psychological, the mental skill side, or the physical standpoint, you know, and I can kind of jump in all these different worlds. And, you know, and I feel, you know, yeah, I'm learning more about the physiology which is, you know, I'm eating this stuff up. And then, you know, hopefully I can provide some tools for people here on the mental skills side and the mental health side, you know, and, you know, use me as a resource. That's, that's what I'm here for. And, you know, I, it's interesting. I have this motto that I, I like to share with people and, and it's this, uh, it's a Latin and it actually comes from one of the schools of Outward Bound actually in Great Britain. It's, uh, the motto is Latin called it's plus est in vows. And that is, uh, it means more in you and simply more in you. And they have that on the wall uh, of one of their schools. The school started in the 1940s. Um, and uh, yeah, that, I, I think about that all the time. And if I could provide that for people, could if I could help that and be a resource for people, that's, that's why I'm here. Some of my very, very best friends are, or were outdoor ed instructors who worked for Outward Bound or Adventure oh. Tracks. And they're they're my favorite people because, you know, they deal with teenagers in crisis all the time in the woods. And so they deal with adults in crisis very, very yep. well. They're my favorite. Like, let's go for a run and like really break some stuff down. Um, we joke that there are our, our uh, personal therapists for our, our my, for my husband's and my relationship. We always bring one of them on a run every year and we say, <laughs> okay, let's talk about some stuff. Let's dive into this because they're so good at, at listening and reasoning and, you know, using, using movement as part of this process. And so I think yeah. it's, it's cool. That's where you got kind of really, really engaged in it. And then I, yeah, I just, I think that resonates with people, right? Is that we as coaches get to combine all of our loves together. And yes, it's anyone who's run anything or ridden anything or done a triathlon, like knows that, yeah, physical stamina and physical fitness matters. But if you don't, if you're not mentally well, if you're not mentally sound and can die, like dig in oftentimes, like that's a huge um, performance limiter for lots of it's us. A, cool. It's absolutely huge. And, you know, I kind of see it as a, you know, you have to, you have to have both the mental health side and the mental performance side, and they interact with each other. 
and you know, and physical side. I mean, it's just it, we're one. It's it's very holistic. So yeah, I think we've spent a lot of time this past year really recognizing that like physical well-being and mental well-being are not the same thing. Like I think for right. the longest time, we're like, oh, athletes are physically fit. Ultra runners are physically fit. Like they, so, they're meant they're emotionally fine. And it's like that's not really what we're seeing in research. It's not really what we're seeing no. if we look around at our you know, our, our peers, the people that we're lining up on in races or in long runs with, like it really physical health and, and mental health are, are not the same thing. And I think it's been an important thing to highlight in the, in like the, the more widestream media this past year. Right. You've got to take care of both. You know, you've got to, you know, and and you got to be active about it. You know, you you can kind of shove it away. The mental stuff, sometimes you can try to shove away, but it's going to percolate up. You know, it, it does. It, it always does. You know, even if, you know, you think of COVID and you know, it's like, I'm going to be strong, you know, no matter how strong, even there's therapists right now are struggling. We got all these tools and it's like, wow, this has been hard. It's been, so, it's been really hard. And I think a lot of us thought that 2020 was the hard year, but I think 2021 was, as we've talked about in our coaching group, like 2021 was very hard. We pretended it was a normal year and it really, it hasn't been a normal year. Nope. And I think a lot nope. of us are feeling... <laughs> Very burnt out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing, I guess, what I really want to talk about, which we're going to spend the next bit diving into, is that you gave... So we do, um, for people who don't know, the the reason I coach for CTS is because we get to do these continuing ed sessions, both um, across all disciplines with our cycling coaches and our triathlon coaches. But we also have a weekly running one, which I like probably make it to about 50% of them because life is life and crazy. <laughs> but... Um, topics come up that are super, super interesting. And each of us takes a turn presenting something or we bring in experts to talk to us about things. And you recently gave this great continuing ed talk to not just the running coaches, anyone who wanted to attend within our coaching cohort. And it was it was titled Psychological Considerations for the Aging Athlete, the Master's Mindset. And I immediately I think all of our gears like flipped and they're all turning. And so I'm really one of the very first things you pointed out in this talk was like, what is a master's athlete? Like what defines a master's athlete? Who are we, who are we talking to here? Or is it really, we're talking to everyone? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I looked it up again today and I was like, well, you know, what does the USATF say? You know, and they said 35. And then I followed this other link attached to the UC, uh, USATF and, and something said 35, but 25 for some of these races. And there's a lot of information out there and, and I'm really thinking it, it, it all depends. And, and, and the reality is, is we're all aging, you know, and even people in their twenties are concerned about, you know, Oh my God, I'm going to turn 30, you know, that, you know, I'm going to turn 30 people in their thirties. Uh, I'm going to turn 40, you know, you know, and, and in my forties, you know, I was like, I'm like, this is it. The big day, you know, I'm turning 50 here, you know, the life's getting, everything's going to change today. And, and then, you know, and then it's the sixties or the seventies and we're all aging. And so we're all going to have these feelings that, you know, I'll talk a lot about this later, but you know, these feelings that come up for us, you know, and these thoughts, you know, of, you know, who am I, am I getting older? How's this going to affect me? Um, so, you know, when we think about ultra runners, I mean, I've seen, I saw something, you know, that I, I have to pull it up here. I got it right here is, you know, masters athletes. I kind of broke it down as masters athletes, 35 plus grandmasters, which was a label I had just I heard of that label grandmasters. What did it's, it's 50 to 59. And I said, wow, I'm a grandmaster. 
that's cool. <laughs> and they have senior grandmasters, 60 plus. And, and I think those labels get, you know, and it depends who you are, where you are, probably where you are in the world, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, I just get, well, we're all aging, you know, you look at, you look at ultra runners. And I think the interesting thing is I didn't realize this until I looked at that, but it was 42, about 42 and a half is the average age for ultra runners. And, and, you know, you look at the, um, you know, some of the statistics, you know, you see the 40 to 45 plus age group is probably one of the largest. And then it starts dropping off a little bit, maybe after 45, uh, after just as you reach 50 and at 50, 55, it starts dropping off significantly. So, but that, you know, that's, I'm talking about anyone. I'm talking about everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm one of the younger, one of the younger coaches, I think on our, on our running staff, um, by default, even though I've been with the company for five years, I'm like, have, I just like keep hanging out at the, at the, the young end of our, our crew a little bit. Um, so recent <laughs> college grads get at us if you want to coach. Um, but I, what I think is interesting there is that, you know, we're talking about the ultra running audience really, you know, as yeah. these masters level, these masters age athletes, I think for USA track and field for like cross country, we just had cross country running championships not that long ago. And I think 40 is their master's distinction for cross country right. nationals. Right. And so Renee, this woman out of Bend who like just turned 40, went and, and won yep. the master's championships and she's so fast like she's way way yeah. faster than me faster as a master maybe but one of those things where it's you know it's it's going to be different for everyone here and so although masters are very well represented particularly this for you know 42 or so 40 to mm-hmm. 45 year old age group um in ultra running Having spent a lot of time in the exercise physiology world doing research, we know that exercise physiology research and psychology research and medical research is not perfect. The, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, ideal test subject is a college aged male. And I joke it's because you can pay them to do basically anything. But, so, so what does that look like, though, when you're talking about like when we're when we're trying to pull information to to give athletes skills and tools and educate coaches on this topic? Like, what does it look like from a research standpoint, as far as, you know, the psychology of masters aged athletes? Cause they're not the, they're not the routine um, no. sample, sample group that we pull from. And, you know, when I, when I did research for this presentation, I, I you know, I dug as far as I could. I, I don't have access to a lot of libraries. I wish I did um, anymore, but it, you know, as far as what I was able to pull was, it, it wasn't much. What they do look at are, you know, looking at some motivational aspects of, you know, trying to get people to exercise and, you know, ex, you know, like exercise motivation, you know, how do you get somebody who may not never have, you know, ran in their lifetime to, you know, to get running and, but not much, there's not much out there. What I do get is a lot of kind of self-reports from mental performance coaches and our consultants and sports psychologists saying, hey, this is what we've seen. This is what I've done. This is what I, how I focused on it. Uh, but there's, you know, yeah, it's college age male uh, where are most of those, um, the, you know, the, those studies that, you, you know, are done for sure, you know, even, even in sports psychology. Yeah, we want to talk to those guys, you know, twenty years down the road, and and then say, hey, let's talk about your your psychology. Oh, it'd be it'd be awesome. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I yeah, this is the direction. I I mean, I love all this stuff, and I go, wow, why don't we take sports psychology and physiology and do a big research study on this and see how how it works, you know, and see it over the long period, you know, 
Yeah, I was. This is not a question I sent you, so don't don't worry if <laughs> it's like if it if it shocks. Oh, please, if it, not shocks. But um, so I was recently on a podcast, and I was asked if you could have like a bucket, like a bucket list, like or a study. If you could, if you could have someone, a university somewhere, do a study for you for ultra running, what would it be? And I was like, well, basic physiology, like a basic ultra running study on like let's say like training methodology, like just understanding volumes and training loads and quantifying it specifically for ultra running because we pull a lot of that information from nordic skiing and and road cycling and triathlon and not necessarily from our our own cohort of of athletes and that's obviously just a very basic study and so i'm wondering talking about the lack of this research if you could if you could have one study that someone would do for you what would that what do you think would be a really like a, a value oh, to you personally, to your practice or to the, like the wider sports psychology, ultra running masters athletes community? The way, well, yeah, let's go for it. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and this is, I have, you know, and I wish I got a PhD. I wish I, you know, um, and maybe that's down the road, who knows, but you know, what I would like to see is oh, you have, you're kind of, you're programming, for the physiological components. And then you layer on a program for sports psychology, you know, and, and there's ways to program sports psychology. It's, you know, it really, you know, the, the training that I had, you know, it looks more educational in nature and you could do it that way. And, you know, instead of the therapeutic modality where I kind of jump into that realm, but um, you have that. And, and then you have, you know, the ones that don't have that program, you know, and, and see how, what the results are in the race. Not just the results, but how did they do six months later? What were their perceptions of that experience? I, I think the, the research that I've read, is, it's interesting when you look into the psychology, it's like, yeah, we, we did this training. We did it like five, six weeks before the race. And then we looked at it afterwards. and you know, yeah, yeah, they didn't, you know, there was no differences in, in how they performed, but it was six weeks afterwards or six months afterwards where they said, hey, I got something out of that and I'm still utilizing Interesting. it. There's like I don't, this lag. There, there, there's a lag. And I think it's, you know, you can't just start six weeks before a race. It's, you know, just like you can't just train someone physically six weeks before a race. You know, you've got to have six months, you know, even a year, you have a time scale where you're really integrating this stuff. You know, uh, you know, Coop talks in his new book about periodization of mental skills. And I think you really can do that by integrating them early on and developing the athlete. And so you would have to work with someone. It'd be a a long study and very expensive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They often are, but it'd be really, really cool. And so it's kind of like that. Yeah. What's what's the, what's the dreams of dreams there? I like that, you know, giving that intervention and then getting to see it kind of play out. And I wonder with ultra too, I was talking to Addie Bracey about this and Addie, obviously in a similar line of work, she wrote a book. It's really, really good. Um, it's got like skill, like skill sheets in it. Um, because I need practice always. But um, she was saying, you know, and, and Coop brings this up as well, is that, you know, one of the interesting things about our sport is that the longest thing we do in training is still not close to as long as running 100 
or running a 50 or running, you know, whatever it might be. And so it's like, there's this gap in our experience from training to race day, particularly if you're jumping up in distance for the first time. And so I wonder with some of that, like, longitudinal intervention is like, having the athlete have an opportunity to put that stuff like to cement it in practice in a race scenario. And then they can like, they're like, Oh, conceptually, I know what mile 80 feels like now. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you don't know what mile 80 feels like, you know, (laughs) you know, all this stuff, I I can talk mental skills backwards and forwards. You could read Addie's book and, but if you don't know what mile 80 feels like until you're there. Oh yeah. But if you get some practice in that stuff, that's where it is. It's like, Okay, maybe this is where I could put this into practice. And, you know, it goes back to this concept that I learned at Outward Bound. This is the idea of experiential education. You're going to be using these experiences to, you know, your first hundred may, you know, this is where this goes. This is how my nutrition kind of goes. And you're kind of fitting this stuff together. And maybe it's your second or third one where you're kind of fully integrating everything, the sports psychology components the nutrition, all the, you know, all the other components where you're like, yeah, I feel good at this. And then you get to your fourth one and go, oh, something's different. (laughs) Or, oh, I still made a mistake or whatever it might be. I tell every athlete going into any ultra, I'm like, look, we prepared for the best day possible, but like it's an ultra, something could go wrong. And like, you got to roll with it out there. So I feel like adaptability is something that we're all training, training for and about. And that's actually kind of, I think, heading into this next question, we're talking about flexibility a little bit here and not the touching your toes type. Um, I would like to say that my mental flexibility is good. My physical flexibility is poor. Many people can probably relate to that. But in um, our continuing ed session, you asked this question to the group. And basically it was, you know, like, what are the stories you tell yourself when you think about aging? And like, you know, we're all on this video call and everyone's face kind of like lights up, right? Like there was like audible, audible noises happening um, on this video call. And I think it's because we all had this immediate understanding of what what that question meant and where it was heading. And I think comparison kind of rose to the top of that pile. I deal with this with athletes all the time who are super fast 20 somethings. And now they're 60. And they're a different runner than they were then. They're not, it's not bad or, or anything, but it's different. And so comparison rose to the top of the pile, which we can all relate to young, young or old. We're all, you know, self-comparison, comparison to others. We all sit with it constantly, but I'm, I'm wondering, and this might be out of order and we'll kind of just like, we'll wiggle our way through it here. That's right. Cool. But you, you kind of talk about this really interesting type of therapy and type of concept, and it's called acceptance and commitment therapy as a model for examining um, aging in particular with, with and around athletics. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, what does that look like kind of big overview? And what does that look like in practice with an individual? Well, good question. Right? (laughs) Yeah, good good question. (laughs) Um, So what acceptance commitment therapy is, is really this kind of goes back to this idea of psychological flexibility. And I'll throw a bombshell out here. I love, I gotta say this. I gotta, is that I think psychological flexibility is much more important than mental toughness. Because if you, you know, if you don't have psychological flexibility, you know, know, that toughness and, and toughness doesn't matter. I don't, I don't even like using that term, you know, because that always implies that there might be weakness. And I like saying, well, you know, we all have a certain range of flexibility. You know, I could bend down, you know, to my, you know, I could bend my hands down to my knees. Some people could bend them down to their toes. You know, we have a range of flexibility. Now we could 
stretch that range a little bit. And you know what we're talking about in psychological flexibility is, is being able and in use in acceptance commitment theory is this idea of being present, doing what matters, and and opening up. And you know, you know, briefly, you know, being present is being here right now in the present moment. I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm talking to the audience. Um, I'm sitting in my room. I'm aware that I'm in my room. I'm taking, you know, I'm aware that there's a sound machine going in the background. You know, that's being present. You know, I'm also present to my thoughts. You know, I'm a present. Yeah, maybe there's a few butterflies coming up. I got to do this talk here. You know, I've never spoken to Corinne. This is, you know, wow, these butterflies here. Opening up to this experience, opening up to the, you know, the feeling of anxiety, opening up to the fear uh, that I might be aging, opening up to, yeah, this idea of you know the self-doubt that I might be experiencing. Some of this is scary. Ultimately though, it's going commitment, doing what matters. So you're committing you know, actively towards what matters to you. What matters in the sense of your values, you know, and developing out of values your personal goals. And yeah, I, I always kind of def- define it to, for athletes is the process. You know, it is, you know, what what matters is part of the process here. What are we getting as a process when we look at ultra running, you know, uh, or training? So that in a nutshell is what it is. And um, acceptance being opening up. You're accepting, uh, you know, the, these emotions, these feelings, this, you know, possible angst or fear that you might have of growing older. Um and uh, again, commitment to acting uh, and doing what and doing what matters. Um, and, and I want to go back to acceptance for a second here. I, I'm sorry, I digress. But acceptance no, it, acceptance isn't laying down, you know, and giving up. You know, people get people get this wrong. You know, when they hear acceptance, you know, um, you know, here, here here goes that soft social worker again. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, 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 no. So acceptance means we're recognizing this stuff. We're human. You know, everyone has fears. Everyone has anxieties. And you know what? And going back to that idea of comparison, and I said this in our talk, is we all compare. You know, I hear people say, well, don't don't compare. Don't com-. Stop trying to compare, okay? <laughs> you can't. You know, you could do some things that can help you, uh, you know, put your phone down. But you know what? I would rather than say, I say, put your phone down, do what matters instead. You know, what matters right now? Should, you know, what could I, what could I be doing right now? Well, you know, I could be, you know, I, I could be reading the book. Um, I could be going out for a run. I could be, you know, looking at Strava is not what matters, but I might be, we have to compare to learn how to walk. You know, I look at somebody, you know, babies, you know, they're standing up, you know, how am I going to, how do we do that? We go back to, uh, you know, prehistoric times, you know, hey, that spear is bigger than this spear. And it was able to take down that mammoth. Maybe I need a bigger spear, you know. So this comparison is, what, is good. Comparison, comparison is learning. Comparison is learning. Exactly. 
Exactly. So, sorry, I digress. No, no, no. I, I, so, I have a question that probably digresses us more about acceptance. Good. So, I've read a lot over the past year about, and this is kind of coming out in some of the psychology literature these days, is the difference between like dissociation and kind of like at, like mindfulness and acceptance. And is that is that the same? Like, obviously, we're using a term here, and is that term blanket? Like in, in those situations, generally, that means like. They say it's, oh, it's better to like actively accept kind of what's happening during an event or a race or a, a game as opposed to trying to dissociate as far as like moving through this situation or whatever, whatever it might be. Maybe your nutrition went sideways or or you're you're in a rough patch. Is that the same style of acceptance or is that just we've got a lot of terms that all involve acceptance I, of some sort? I think I think there is a lot of different terms. So the dissociation, I think you're talking about is a dissociation where I'm going to go, uh, you know, and I'm on 80, at mile 80 and I might just try to tune out yeah, and, you know, and just tune out of everything. And I, you know, and, that, and here's a concept, here's another concept we'll probably get into. Is it workable? You know, Hey, that works. <laughs> you, know, you know, so why don't you do that and use that as a tool? So dissociation might be a tool association might, you know, where you're, Okay, you know you're more focused. You're uh, here and present in the moment, and that's good too. But that dissociation might be what I would describe, and we'll get into this in a second, I'm sure. But uh, what I describe as a towards move. You're moving towards something that this is helping you right now. Dissociation in other aspects of your life may not be helpful, you know. And you got to ask: Is it workable at that in that moment? So, is this something that's helping me? you know, really to move towards my values? Or is this, yeah, I'm not really, it's not really, this behavior isn't helping me right now. This act, you know, but so yeah, good. I love that question though. Yeah. It's like, it's like what tools are going to work at different points in time and understanding once again, via experience and experience, like experiential learning is going to be kind of what helps you understand what, what tools benefit you in the moment and what tools maybe don't benefit you in the moment. So we just talked a little bit, you brought up terms about working towards something. You also, in your talk to us, talked about hooked versus unhooked. And I'm wondering if we can kind of steer the ship that way as far as like, okay, next, you know, if I, if I want to be accepting, to be open, to do what matters, how do I then take, you know, how do I, how do I like build from there? Yeah. So the way I, I define it or describe it is like this, a choice point. So if you can imagine a V, you know, show in the window here. And at the, at the intersection, right at the center, is uh, the choice point. This is where all those thoughts, feelings, perceptions, it might be pain that comes up for you. It, it might be these thought, these uncomfortable thoughts. You know, you know, we think about aging. We think, of, you know, it's like this, this self-doubt that might come up. These uncomfortable thoughts that come up. If we kind of move in one direction, let's say this is the away direction, and, and that I would define as kind of sometimes getting hooked by some of that stuff. So you might be ruminating about self doubt. You might be worrying about self, you know, about you know performance, um, and it might take over. In, in such a way that you, your behavior, it'll trigger a behavior that isn't really too helpful. Yeah, um, for example, overtraining. So self-doubt is a great way to overtrain, you know, and, but here's the thing is you don't have, you could experience self-doubt 
and move this way and go, you know what? I'm still going to go here and stick to the process. I know what, you know, I know what the healthy thing and the right thing is to do. I know what my values are. I got to, I got to do that recovery stuff. My coach is telling me to do, you know, I got to take, I got to sleep eight to 10 hours a day. You know, I got to do all that stuff. That's, that, that, that could be a good, that could be a workable behavior. If I think about it as unworkable is, um, I decide to go on a 20 mile, I had a great example is I decided to go on a 20 mile run and it's outside of what my coach prescribed for me, or I'm already really fatigued. And even though my coach has me doing this, I don't tell them because I know I want to show my coach that I could still do this. And I go out on a 20 mile run or I look on Strava. Here's a great one is I look on Strava and all my buddies just, you know, they went out and did this crazy run. Um, you know, up in the Indian Peaks wilderness. And I'm like, oh, I got to go do that run. It looks so cool. And then I could show it on Instagram or something like that. And it feels really good, but I'm now I'm more fatigued. You know, that's an away move. So you, you kind of have that trigger, you know, maybe that sensation that, you know, that feeling you have that behavior. There's always a payoff to the behavior, you know, ah, you know, I got a few likes on Instagram. I got a few likes on Strava. I must be doing something right. So there's a reward there. Yeah, those dopamine, those dopamine hits. It's hard, it's oh, hard to get away from so, that. Right? It is. Like you it, pulled in. It is. And but here's the other thing. Here's the other reward is you're avoiding that self-doubt. Yeah, that, that self-doubt is still there, but it gets it it gets neutralized a little bit by going out for that run. See, I could still do it. You know, ah, uh, you know what I did? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna share. You know, <laughs> I I'm gonna share something nice. I did this year. So I did uh, the Leadville Silver Rush. I did the whole Leadman series this year, and had some issues with that. But um, I you know, and and it was probably what led up to this is I did Silver Rush 50, and four days later I decided I was gonna do a a uh, 800 on the track. Logical, yeah. very logical, logical, very very logical. No. No ego involved. No No. ego involved at all. Like, you know, and I, you know, and I, and it was, I did it, you know, not a good thing, but it was, there was that dopamine, you know, there was that, uh, you know, there was that desire, but was it following really what, what I valued, you know? Yeah. In some ways, but in some ways not, it really wasn't workable, you know? And okay. I learned. (laughs) Yeah. And and sometimes you have to learn the hard way. And so you just mentioned values there. And I think that, you know, we can talk about whys, we can talk about values. And I'm wondering how does, yeah, how, for people who are struggling with this, with, with that, you know, that, that moment, that trigger, and then they have to, they have to choose basically to, to work, to work with it or against it or, you know, away from it towards it, towards that goal. How do, how do values play into helping us make those decisions? Absolutely. So think about, you know, and, and you really have to do a self-analysis of, you know, what are your personal values? What brings meaning to you? And yeah, and there's a lot of different great worksheets out there, that, you know, that list different values and you have to sit there with them. And it's not like a one five minute thing where you're circling them and yeah, this is it. You really have to be introspective about it and thinking about what it is. And if you think about, for example, uh, I wrote, a little blog a couple of weeks ago uh, on the idea of longevity in sport 
and longevity is a value. You know, I, I want to be able to last. I want to be healthy. When, you know, in 20 years, you know, I want to be able to walk in 20 years. And with that concept in mind, okay, does beating myself up right now really, you know, work into, is that workable for that value of longevity, of, of health? Why am I doing this sport? Is it because, you know, you know, we look at our why, which, which I, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great tool, but I think underneath the why is your, your personal values. What do you have? You know, why do I get into this? You know, maybe I love being in the wilderness, you know, coming back to this, what am I out here every day? You know, and, and there's some people, you know, competition is, is a value and that's okay. You know, again, thinking about, okay, what about the other values? Am I balancing these values out? You know, am I, able to say, well, yeah, yeah competitions, are, I, I love that, but am I going to be competitive in five years if I s- keep doing this unworkable stuff? Um, does that make sense? Yeah. No, and if your value is longevity at that point, right? Like you're yeah. being counterproductive to that, to that goal, to that value by like kind of sabotaging it. Totally. In and health. I see a lot of athletes battle that, right? Like health is always greater than performance, right? Like I'm using on this audio formatted podcast. I'm using gestures. We're going to gesture wildly. You know, health is ultimately, you know, probably the core value there over performance. And and that like that flexes a little bit there. But I do think that, you know, longevity is a great, a great value. Like I, I've coached athletes who are, my oldest athlete is now 70. And it's like, that's awesome. I hope that I'm running when I'm 70. And it's like, so there are going to be moments possibly that if, if that is my key value, and maybe it's not, maybe it's one of my values, but not my key, like my most important value, like there are going to be decisions I might make in my career in the next 10 years that work towards longevity or work away from longevity. And it's, you know, that will be a rank order of, of those values. And that's, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to navigate. But I think that also, you know, speaks to like, what are those like short term and long term goals? And how can you kind of stay, you know, stay on course through all of that? Absolutely. And so those goals are, are, can be derived from those values. You know, goals could disappear, but you still have those values that are underneath, underneath those goals. So, you know, the, you know, the value maybe of competitiveness, you know, the value of, you know, adventure, the value of, you know, experience, you know, experiencing the wilderness, the value of camaraderie and friendship, you know, those are always there. Those goals can kind of come and go, but you could always formulate those goals based off of those values. Yeah, I can see how acutely those goals could even like situationally, right? Acutely, those goals could disappear. Say you're you're in a big race, maybe it's your A race, and things aren't going well, right? Like if you're really hung up on this one very, very specific goal, maybe mm-hmm. that's out the window and maybe that's that that ends your day. But I think that once again, if you fall back on those values to allow you to be to be flexible and adaptable in the moment, all of a sudden, you know, oh, my time, my time goes out the window, but I value the yes. experience. Yes. I value, yes. um, you know, pushing myself. I value the community. Like all of a sudden you have these things that kind of hold you on course. Yeah. And, you know, I had that experience going back to this Leadville, uh, you know, it was, it was a rough season going 2021 was rough and I couldn't 
you quite figure out what was going on. I think a lot of people kind of struggled with that and, and uh, get to the race. And it was one of those races you get to and you're, you're just so fatigued. And you're like, what is going on? And it just got slower and slower and slower. And I had an athlete that was running the race too. And he was, he kept on leapfrogging me and we kept on running together. And then he got injured. And, and I was like, you know, I just want to make sure he gets down okay. You know, and, and I was just, you know, it's like, I've got a belt buckle. You know, and it's like, let's let's make sure this guy gets down okay. And so there's, you know, the value of this, A, this camaraderie and just, you know, I care for other people, you know, and I, you know, I just want to make sure he's okay. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I could come in at, you know, 29 hours, 29 and a half hours, whatever it is, but, you know, he, he's struggling right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I want to, let's, let's make sure, I mean, it's dark, he's tripping, his foot is, you know, what's going to happen there? And, you know, if, you know, I still have the wilderness first responder background, so I need to, I need to be here, you know? So I turned that on. So those, that's how I played it. You know, yeah, it was a bummer, but you know what? He got down. Okay. You know, made it to his family and I'll get to, I'll race again. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's so, I think that's so, so important that those values do get to goals. Goals are maybe a little bit more temporal or not. I keep using the word nebulous. It's my new, it's my new favorite word. I think goals are, I love that word. And then values (laughs) are like these things that they change, they flex over time for sure. But at the same time, like they are, I think really, really grounding for everyone, young, young and old and, and otherwise. They're your compass. You know, that, that, that's, that's, that's your direction North. Yeah, 100%. Values are your North Star for sure. And I guess kind of building off of our toolbox here, right? We've kind of talked through some situations that people could find them in and how they work work towards things, you know, making making decisions to, to work towards goals or away from goals or or kind of how we let things influence us. And you had us do a, another... Um, another exercise during the, uh, during our, our continuing ed session. And I'm wondering if you can yeah. just walk us through, obviously people are listening to this. So you're going to, you're going to be, maybe people Ooh. are running or driving or you're at work and you're not working, whatever you might be doing. Um, Neil's going to walk us through this exercise, the pushing away paper exercise that he had us do. Pushing away paper. Um, I'll do it on my end so, too. I've got a Sharpie so, ready. All right. First of all, if you're driving or doing anything like that, don't do drive. this. Yeah. Just drive. Don't do this later. Stop, you know, do this later. You get home. Um, or you could just watch us do it. Um, and if you have any shoulder problems or neck problems, I didn't mention this in the group and I probably should have. <laughs> if you have any shoulder and neck problems, Disclaimer. don't do this either. Disclaimers. Um, but first of all, I want you to think about out there, out there, right there in your space, is everything those things that you value, the things that are important to you. And, you know, it might be, you know, for me, as an example, is the, is the athletes that I work with. Um, it is my family. It is, it is the, you know, I use adventure a lot as a value of mine. Environment, um, challenge. You know, these are, you know, some of your values, but there's other deeper stuff, things that matter to you, what matters to you. And it's going to be a lot deeper than that. Um, so out there is all this stuff. Now on this piece of paper, write down some of the thoughts that come to your mind when you think about, think about aging as an athlete. You know, what, what kind of fears do you have? What kind of, what kind of, um, 
you know, what, what comes up for you? What is your brain? What is your, what, what I like to say is what is your mind telling you right now? Now I write some of that stuff down. I'll write my, you know, I've got, oh, yeah. People can hear us scribbling that. wildly oh, in the scribbling. In the Just get some of that stuff down. I want you to stare at it for a second and just kind of get hooked on that. Just look at that. And it might, you know, it might be really uncomfortable. Now, I want you to take this and try to push this paper away. Push the paper as far away as possible. You, Grin, My arms all, are medium long. I'm doing this. Oh, okay, that's fair. But really, just, just struggle with it. You, what you're doing is struggling with this, pushing this away, trying to get rid of this stuff, okay? Now, how much energy are you putting into that instead of everything out here? I would say maybe too much energy. Too much energy. If you set this down, that that stuff is still there. You know, self doubt, fear, you know, all that all that stuff, all that crud that's coming up for you. It's always it's there. It's recognized. It's not going anywhere. But now. I have this opportunity to interact with everything else and do the things that matter, yeah. you know, and act yeah. on the, the active and act on those things. And it's, it's flipping the struggle switch, so to speak, you know, you're flipping the switch and I'm going to be brutally I mean, honest. This isn't easy. You know, you have to be number one. The most important thing is aware of these thoughts, the stuff that's coming up for you. And that's where self-awareness plays a huge part of it. And I, I may have heard Addie Bracey mention it in, in the podcast with you, but I'm not sure. But, um, you know, or I may have heard her talk about it somewhere. But I mean, self-awareness is so critical. I know I know, Dr. Justin Ross spoke about it uh, in, a, in a summit he did with us, but it, it's so critical. And being aware of this stuff is half the battle. And it, it was, you know, going back to that Leadville experience, I'm running, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, it's, and I'm just struggling. And, and, and then I realized what I was struggling with was even this, this idea of like, I was aging and I kept on fighting this thing, you know, throughout this race. And, and I stopped and I started laughing. Ah, there it is right there, you know, and that recognition was able to Okay, let's focus on what we can right now and what we can control, which is really big. So, yeah, I've been having this conversation, this ongoing conversation with one of my really good friends recently, um, who's very introspective and well-read and brilliant and uh, an amazing writer. And he he was talking about how, like, right now as a as a society, as a culture, particularly my, you know, I'm I'm 31 think yes i'm 31 i uh sometimes i forget i feel like i haven't had a birthday in a hot second so um i, I forget and, all the time I, I could be 23 <laughs> no one would know um but this idea and i think my my age group but i see this with my athletes too my my 40 year olds my 50 year olds that we are in this time period where we're trying to quantify everything we're trying to quantify heart rate variability and resting heart rate and body temperature and hydration status and all these things. And it's, it's our generation or at least society right now seems to be trying to replace understanding yourself with quantifying yourself. Yeah. And that seems like that's like at the heart of some of these issues is that you, 
you're not you're not being introspective, but we're kind of like saying like, oh, I'm I'm listening to myself. I'm listen I'm listening to my body by measuring all these things instead of like actually being introspective with how how you feel about things and about yourself and about your body and about your yeah. body or whatever it might be. And I think that's a really I don't know, maybe that should be on my paper here that I was trying to push away. But I think that oh, that's wow. a big issue. It's huge. It, you know, and hey, I'm I'm 53 and I, you know, it was, it, you know here, here's another story. I love telling stories, but so the other the other day I was out, I, I was on a long run, and somehow my heart rate monitor. You know, I have all the gadgets too. Somehow my heart rate monitor slipped off, and I, oh god, you know, I gotta, you know, have that. And then I was like, well, you know, I don't necessarily need that. You know, I need I could run by perceived exertion. We talk about that with all our athletes, and. But I did go back to try and find that uh, on a short run in the evening at dusk on the trails out here near Boulder. And uh, and it was this just beautiful experience just being out there. And I wasn't really concerned about what my heart rate was or how fast I was going. And it was letting go. And, and, and I was actually moving towards those values. Guess, and the coolest thing is I saw a mountain lion. At the, you know, and I was like, okay, I don't need to find the heart rate monitor anymore. <laughs> and, you know, and it was just like this, wow, I've never seen that before. So that was something you learn, you know, it's like, wow, I, I, lo- I love that point though. It's like, yeah, I think a lot of us, and I think even, you know, sometimes the older you get, you, you get more into the gadget sometimes, <laughs> you know, and, and looking at all that other stuff. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But- I'm I'm on mute because my dog is drinking copious amounts of water in the background. She just woke up from a very extended nap. But yeah, I, I think it's like what basically what you're what you're saying is what like what can you actually see or hear or be attuned to when you're not so caught up almost or distracted by these ec- other external right. things, which right. I really like. Wow, that's a, yeah. it's it's intense. It's pretty we're cool. Getting, <laughs> we're getting philosophical. I really like it. Um, I love it. <laughs> but to kind of we're gonna slowly kind of round out our conversation here, and I want to add some more kind of like practical take home things that people can do. Be it pushing away this piece of paper or just really sitting with those thoughts and feelings. But what what can like how can we apply these skills to the athletes that we're working with, or to if athletes are listening um, to their own their own practice with this? You know what what might those um, tools look like. Yeah. So let's, let's go to one of the things that we kind of skipped over is that being present. And so I think one of the the best tools, uh, that I I use with, you know, know, whether it be in the mental health realm or, you know, the the sport performance realm, um, and I I use it with my daughter a little while ago, (laughs) uh, was, just anchoring, just noticing, you know, sitting here right now, just noticing, you know, what might be coming up for you. You know, you're here with your thoughts. You're here with maybe some, dis- you know, maybe you have some discomfort, you know, maybe it's an ache or pain in your Achilles or you know, your shin, just noticing it, taking a deep breath and then just noticing what you could see, you know, noticing what's around you, maybe identifying five things that you could see. Taking a deep breath, you know, what can you smell? You know, I smell dinner being cooked, you know, I smell you know, maybe some coffee down my desk, you know. You know what is there anything you could touch? Yeah, you know, I touch this piece of paper pen. 
using going through your senses very slowly like that, taking a deep breath, which we all have control over, taking a deep breath. And what it does is helps to anchor you, even though all those thoughts and all that stuff is, are still there. You know, it may become less intense while you do that. You could do this on a run. You know, I've had athletes go, okay, just take a moment and look, notice the flowers. You know, notice what does it smell like out there? What is it? What do you hear? What does the wind feel like? I go out in a freezing cold day. Just what does that ice feel like? You know, what does your hands feel like? That's coming back to the present moment. Doesn't get rid of all of that stuff. That stuff is still there. And it's really important to know that, you know, the idea isn't that we're doing this and pushing it away. The idea is that, you know, yeah, that stuff's still there. But now I've got this space, got this moment where, hey, I can move towards the things that really matter. So mindfulness, you know, and this is kind of a mindfulness thing. And you could develop a mindfulness practice. You could do meditation and go into use something like Headspace or the, the uh, app called Headspace or Calm, uh, or there's all sorts of different things you could do, you know, all sorts of different books out there and, and podcasts and uh, different things, but you don't have to, you know, it's, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot of athletes already know how to be mindful. It's just getting tapped into what that is. And so that's part of it. The other, the second half is is being cognizant of what's your mind telling you. And so when I think about that, and I think about you know we use at, at CTS we use Training Peaks as a tool, and you know we have our athletes you know write down you know how did that rate run go for you? Well, have them write down, write down what your mind was telling you before that run. You know you've got a, a five by three minute running intervals tomorrow. What, what's your mind telling you? You know, are you scared? You know, are you worried about, you know, your ankle? You know, what's going on? Write that stuff down and notice how you behave or reacted to it afterwards. That's really important is taking note of that. How did that run go for you anyways? Did, did, it, did those thoughts prior, did, did you get kind of hooked on that and that affect you? Or did you, you know what, I'll just, Okay, that, that that paper's right here. I'm gonna go and do that five by three minutes, you know, or that two by twenty minutes, or whatever you got going. Um, all that stuff, all that stuff that comes up is so normal for people. It's it's being human, and, and that's you know, it's, it's another piece that I didn't talk about is self compassion and being compassionate. And you know, be, oh, oh, there's that soft social worker side again. You know, it's yeah. You got to be compassionate, but it doesn't mean you're laying down. It means you're going to go and run that five by three minutes <laughs> tomorrow. You know, maybe you're more aware that, hey, I've got a, a a little ache in my Achilles and maybe I shouldn't do all of those. And that's okay too, you know, and being aware of that. So it, it's self-awareness is key. So we're, yeah, it's it's simple, right? Or it, it's, right. it's seemingly simple. I think we try to make it complex, right? With, oh, you need to do this or that or these apps yeah. or whatever. But it's really, it's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, when I'm feeling really anxious or stressed, it may, might mean just like pausing during my run at some point to like actually be present to like to yeah. stop the stop. We ran this morning, we went on this beautiful run. I had a health scare over the weekend. So getting out to run has been really great. And my dog had a health scare and she got to come running with us. And so yeah. we 
we ran and had this beautiful run and we got out to this zone called cardiac um or like pantole area um kind of it's on it's on the dipsy trail for people who are familiar with the bay oh, yeah. area it's really cool but you can look out to the ocean oh, you're looking right. and from there you can descend down distance and beach we did not descend down distance and beach but we all was kind of paused up there. Like it's this natural like bench. You get to look out. It was sunny. We'd like run out of the fog. Like it was just cool to take a moment and to, and to pause and to like enjoy the sunshine and hear it. I had an athlete recently who um, did not lose their home in the fire, but was impacted by the fires in Boulder. And I was like, Hey, do you want to run? Like what, what's going on? Like what, how are you feeling? And, And he was like, yeah, I'd really like to run, but you know, like we're just going to kind of take it one day at a time um, because they, they've been out of their home due to the fires. And mm-hmm. I was like, look, like, just so you know, like if what you need on this run is to ground yourself and by ground yourself, I mean, like physically put yourself on a rock and just hang out there for a bit. Like that's that's OK. Like that's, you know, just kind of like giving yes. yourself the time and space to to feel it or smell Absolutely. it or see it or anchor. And then people all the time like they do or don't write in training peaks and it's like okay like this is for you too right like yeah you know and i do like that pre oftentimes i'll send new athletes like a okay this is what a comment might look like and that's that's how yes. i write in my log is like okay like i felt kind of you know just off during the warm-up and like i give myself space to write this thing it doesn't have to be a novel but it's like it's it's our moment to reflect on not just the performative aspect of running and and the and how you did how you executed the workout but how you felt about the run or life or whatever going into it and if that changed on the run and how you felt coming out of it and i think that people don't realize that yeah the data is amazing and crushing a workout feels good but having all those other pieces of the puzzle that you're aware of i think is like as a coach those are the ath- the training logs that make my life easier because I actually know what's happening. I feel like yes, yeah, it's that communication piece. You know, we get to see a picture because we're, you know, as coaches, you you know, if you're just looking at the metrics, or we go into the metrics again, you're just getting this small tip of the iceberg. All that stuff, you know, we, you know, you talk about heart rate variability, and we're like, what is the stress doing? You know what? We hear about the stress if we're talking and we're why, interacting. Why are you stressed? <laughs> what yeah. you know? What's going on? You know yeah. why? Why are you you know you know why is why are you, you, know, are you struggling with performance? Well, because there's other stuff. You're human. So okay. No, I do that all the time. I tell athletes, um, and this is tangential, but I think all very practical that. I, you know, again, back to these, these notes, right. And this could be your personal journal, your personal training journal, your training peaks journal with your coach or whatever you might use Strava. I've read some really good Strava novels out there by, by friends and and peers. And I think, you know, it's, I ask my athletes to ask themselves why, and this is something that one of my husband's medical school mentors made him start doing. And at first I thought it was very annoying, but then it's grown on me. And basically he said, you need to ask yourself why three times. And so he'd be like, you know, why are you? St- so you're stressed. Okay. Why are you stressed? Well, I'm stressed because of X, Y, or Z. Okay. Well, why, why is that happening? Like, do I have any control over this? And so all of a sudden, when you ask yourself why mm-hmm. a couple times, right? Like right. you start to get at the heart of what's actually going on or how you're actually feeling. About yeah. Something. Yeah. It takes a while. It takes a while, you know, and you know, again, it's just, it, it's it's hard to hit home sometimes, you know, because you know if you don't do that introspection, you know, and if you know, 
it, you know, what, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, it's, you know, I'm just anxious. I don't know why, you know, well, it's, well, there's probably a reason we should probably dig it, at this a little you bit. Know, and, and there's, you know, and you look at, you look, look back last year is a great example is, is there was so much stress that, but we, we, what we did is we moved the threshold up a little bit and we, we weren't aware of that threshold going up. I'm, you know, kind of getting really philosophical here. But you move that threshold of stress up a little bit, and then you're really kind of deep in it sometimes. And so if you struggled, you know, with fatigue and motivation, that's totally normal. You know, when you go through over a year, but we didn't realize we were, you know, it was like, wait a second, everything's normal again. You know, and it's like, oh, wait a second, that threshold just moved up. Yeah, and, uh, you, you had a weight vest put on you, and you weren't aware of it. And by it's, ex- a me- it's a definitely a metaphorical weight vest, right? It's like it oh, totally was. Way. That's exactly it. You know, it's like you know, weight, you know, a weight vest, and you're all of a sudden you're, you know, I get uh, and I were bound. I'd put ten pound rocks in people's packs. Now I wasn't a mean person. It was always my co instructor. You know? Yeah. So you know, it's like, why is my pack so heavy? Well, hey, there was a lot Carrying going rocks. on. Here in rocks, exactly. Yeah, we're gonna try to. We're gonna hopefully we're all learning stuff so we can stop carrying so many rocks around. Unless you're training for like I don't know rucking or becoming a wildland firefighter, then carry all the rocks you want, dump them at the top of the trail, do do what you need to do. But otherwise, the rest. No, 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 no rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, I think that. I'm going to bring us to our conclusion here a little bit. And and I really want to have, I would love to have you and Addie Bracey on together and do like an ask the, ask the sports psychologist piece. Cause I get questions all the time in, in regards to sports nutrition, sports psychology, sports physiology. And I think it's fun to have some like domain domain people who are practicing this domain experts, people who this is part of your life. Um, just kind of like bat these questions around. So I will, I'll, we'll, uh, we'll definitely get to dive into some more of this. I think this is a super interesting area for people, but to close up, I think what's really cool in all these, when we're talking to people, it's kind of getting a sense for other resources that might be out there. And so I'm going to ask two questions. Uh, maybe I'll ask three questions and one I didn't okay. send you. So, haha. Oh, um, okay. So the first one I'm going to start with is one I didn't send you is, and I've asked this of a lot of people and it's, what do you wish that you knew that, you know, like, what do you wish that like something, you know, now that you wish you had known when you either started as an ultra runner or started as in working in like sports psychology specifically with, with ultra runners. Hmm. <laughs> I know that's, I, a, that's what, a big one. What do I wish I knew. Um, you know, even, you know, the the first word that comes to mind is just being yourself, you know, um, and even when it comes to ultra running, you know, as, as a coach, as a, as a therapist, as a mental performance consultant, um, it's just being yourself, being who you are, you know, and, yeah, you know, when you're out there running, it, it was, you know, fighting, you know, well, I, I got to be this way, I got to be this way, you know, I got to run hard, I got to run on the roads, I got to do this. And, and instead of like what I experienced the other day, where it's just, I'm just out here, I'm just having this adventure, you know, be yourself, you know, and, yeah. and, and when it comes to mental performance, therapy, you know, it's, yeah, just coming back to yourself and a number one, I would tell students. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I think yeah, that, that kind of speaks to that whole, the whole, uh, our self-acceptance and self-compassion talk yeah. that we've had today. So that's, yep. I think that's a great lesson for all of us to bring into our, our daily lives. As I, yeah, I would tell my younger self, you can be compassionate. You can, you can have compassion for yourself. You're, I, I was an athlete who struggled with my, my results equating to my like self-worth a little bit. And so I think that took some time to learn. And it's something I've tried to instill mm-hmm. in my athletes, both, both junior athletes I've coached and, and adult athletes as well is that, you know, your, your results do not dictate your self-worth. So be, be kind, totally. be, be kind and compassionate. Um, I'm wondering if there's, if there's something that you've read, watched, or listened to recently that you really enjoyed. And this could be thematic to, to our conversation today. Um, or to ultra running in general, just something that you've you've consumed recently that you think that the listeners might also enjoy. Oh, I loved. I just watched. I uh, sat down and watched Fourteen Peaks. Yeah. And um, yeah, on Netflix, you've seen it, and it's you know it, it's absolutely it, you know just incredible. Um, and it's about this gentleman who, uh, a Nepalese climber who climbed all these um, eight thousand meter plus peaks the tallest peaks in the world, basically, um, within, you know, he was shooting for a seven month period and he did it six months, six days. And he gets to, you know, he gets to like K2 and all the climbers at the base camp are just, you know, we can't do this. You know, there's, there's no way, you know, and he's like, or, you know, now I believe the self-belief, you know, that self-belief was so strong which you know, man, I wrote about this 35 years ago in high school, you know, that self-belief was so strong. And, and I remember, and I remember writing about K2, uh, you know, saying one in 10 people died on K2. He goes, climbs it, sets the rope. So you have to set fixed lines and 24 other people made it to the summit the next day. Um, absolutely. It's, you know, it's what we do every day you know, running these long distances, it's, it's kind of coming back to that moving towards a little bit, you know, kind of letting go of that struggle and, and just like, all right, how, what am I going to do? How am I going to have that self-belief, which is really hard, you know, and uh, fantastic representation in that. Yeah. Of work, working towards that self-belief, I think is a, a value that we can probably all, all hold hold pretty yeah. high on our list. And then yeah. the, my final question for you is in a similar vein, if people enjoyed this conversation in particular and they're looking for resources, be it a book or a podcast, what content can you recommend um, to steer them towards? And we'll add this to the show notes for everyone as well. Yeah. Take a look at Russ Harris, his book uh, is called The Confidence Gap, um, which is absolutely a fantastic book, um, Confidence Gap. And he also has a, some other books out there. Uh, one is called The Happiness Trap. Um, absolutely. It talks about these much more in depth, you know, and he's a great educator about this material and the confidence gap really hits home. I think for just everyone, every athlete, uh, really good book. He also has a YouTube out there. His name is Russ Harris, R-U-S-S Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. And, um, there's a lot of YouTube videos and just kind of these short clips to kind of integrate some of these ideas. Uh, that I talked, you know, kind of talked about. So that's, that's what I would recommend. And then I know that you do, you're working on some, on some writing and some get, you know, kind of get putting these ideas out there. And I'm wondering where can people find you if they want to kind of follow up on, on work that you're, that you're actively working on? 
Yeah, I mean, you can go to my website and check out my blog. Um, uh, the the website is w. It's long. It's www.coloradopsychotherapyandsport.com. And uh, on there is the blog Building Mountains. Um, and I've got you know I've got some things I've written, and, uh, and then I've got Instagram. I'm at at Neil Palace, and uh, and then Twitter at Neil Palace, uh, and Facebook is at Colorado Psychotherapy and Sport. Amazing. We'll uh, we'll make sure that all those go in the show notes for everyone. So if you want to track down Neil, ask him questions, shoot him shoot him stuff. Um, follow up on these book recommendations. All that will be in the show notes for you. Um, and I just awesome. want to, Neil, thank you. I mean, it's dinner time for both of us. It is definitely dinner time yes. for you. I'm, a, oh, yeah. I'm an hour. <laughs> it's dark here, but I'm an hour, hour yeah. earlier. So I'm going to go get food as well. Thank you so much for giving us Sorry. so much of your time. Thank tonight. you. Thank you so much, Corinne. It was a pleasure being here. I, I just love having this chat and, you know, hopefully it'd be on again. We can bring Addie. That, that'd be super awesome. We'll make it happen. That'll be amazing. All right. All right. Thanks for joining us this week on the Trainwright podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainwright.com slash podcast, where you can find social links and more for our guests. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.